Hi, this is Alethea Middleton. I'm Midkid Mama blogging at midkidmamablog.com. Uh, welcome back to my podcast. I've been kind of just poking around the house doing projects lately. We definitely have a stay-at-home advisory warning. I don't know what to call it. Everybody's a little bit confused on the rules. Basically, you're not supposed to leave the house unless you really need to. This morning, I went to the grocery store. I'm glad to see that the shelves are being restocked. There really isn't a food shortage, but people were kind of buying faster than they could get things on the shelves. So it's nice to see that the meat was normal again. Uh, Most things were in stock except for the rice was low. There wasn't very much hand soap left, which we have tons of that. And toilet paper is low, which we also have tons of that. So I've been trying to avoid dipping into my storage. If you haven't listened to my podcast, I'm slowly building up a two to four week supply of of food and goods. You might want to listen to that because now that things are starting to bounce back is a good time to slowly buy a few things per week extra just in case. And today I actually purchased my Easter things for the kids because I have a feeling that they could possibly uh, stop selling non-essentials. One of the counties in Indiana decided to um, limit what you could purchase. So if you went to the grocery store for groceries, you couldn't get like a book or a magazine. So just in case um, that changes, I want to have the Easter things on hand. And I'm not talking really about candy as much as I like to include little fun things. I have some grab bag Lego type things uh, for like Lego superheroes and and some Pokemon Legos that they'll get a kick out of. Just a couple small things. And then I already had some candy from a few weeks ago. But I'm not saying run out and buy these things. I'm saying while you're already out for essentials, think ahead. At least that's what I'm planning on doing. But yeah, I I was at the grocery store. It was pretty calm. It wasn't very busy today, so that's nice. Um, I waited. I didn't go over the weekend because I knew there'd probably be a lot of people who only had that really as their option. Um, I slept past my alarm this morning, so I woke up at 7.45 instead of 6.45, and I I thought, oh no, the store's supposed to open at 7. I don't really know if there's things in stock, so I was hoping to get there early. And I get there, and the whole time the announcer keeps saying over the loudspeaker, please note that our, our hours are now open from 7 to 8 for senior citizens. Please respect this new thing, blah, 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 because of the coronavirus. And I was so glad I had overslept because I would have showed up at 7 o'clock, very irritated and embarrassed at the same time. And I'm not really sure what I would have done because it is a 15-minute drive to the store I wanted to go to. So, I mean, it's really not worth going home, but I would have just been embarrassed. It would have been terrible. And the funny thing is, is I did look up the store hours last night because things have been changing so much, and I didn't see it say that anywhere. So I don't know if that's a new rule or if that is a uh, just something they didn't put on their website, or maybe I didn't get far enough. I don't know. But note to self, check for senior hours before you go. I know what Meyer's senior hours are, but this was a Kroger, so I didn't know they had started them. I went to the store today and got the things I needed, and that was kind of nice to get out of the house. Uh, we went and took some things to my aunt, and the kids got out of the house. They didn't leave the car, but they got to drive around, and you know, no, I wasn't even sure if they were really allowed to do that because nobody really knows what the rules are, but it's been an interesting time, though. A lot of back and forth, lots of information out there, but one thing that I've really been trying to harp on, and I know people are probably getting sick of hearing it, but I usually title these podcasts with gardening titles so that you know if you don't care about gardening, you don't have to listen. 
Um, but I'm really, really excited about gardening, and I've been excited for a few years, but now I have a reason to be excited because I really think everybody should get out and start their garden. It's a great physical exercise. gets you fresh air. Obviously, it provides you with some food, and the kids really like it. If you have kids, whether or not you have kids, gardening is just great. It's, it's really therapeutical. Did I say that right? It's therapy. Whether or not you have kids, it's therapy, and it really does kind of relax you and, and make you feel good. But also, if you do have kids, the kids love it. They learn a lot about food, and they learn to enjoy the food. There's some studies out that say kids don't like food the first multiple times you give it to them. It could be like 15 to 50 t- tries before they're even willing to enjoy it at all. Um, vegetables are really this way. A lot of kids don't like vegetables, especially raw vegetables. And when you're in the garden, there's something that's a little more exciting about trying something that you just picked. If you aren't using pesticides and you aren't using any kind of chemicals that you feel uncomfortable with, then you know you rub off any dirt you see and you can eat it straight out of the garden. And so my kids have eaten raw tomatoes. They Most of them don't like that, but they'll try it. Uh, they've eaten raw green beans. They love raw green beans, raw spinach, um, just a bunch of things. And most of the things that I grow, they can eat right out of the ground. So that's just been kind of exciting for them. Uh, last year, I told them that certain bugs, like they, they like to kill bugs, and I don't like them to kill bugs unless they're bad bugs. So we kind of talk about whether a bug is valuable or if it is a pest and it can be killed. And last year I was telling them about these moths that like to lay eggs and then they eat all the greens and they're, they're really terrible for, the, for a lot of vegetables. And so I would catch them out in the yard, uh, these moth hunters. They were pretending to be moth hunters running around trying to kill moths with sticks. And, you know, it was actually kind of scary because they, were go, they would sound psychopathic. They'd be, come here, moth, come here, moth, we have food. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I think I might have made a mistake here. They were um, very, they are all about hunting the moths and getting them out of the yard. And I don't think they actually killed any. In fact, they came in bragging that they had killed all these moths and they were really just like poking and hitting leaves. And they knew it. They were just pretending they were the moths that they weren't able to actually catch because the moths were too fast and a little too smart. The kids like to join in. But if you're thinking about starting a garden, um, now is a great time to do it. I'm recording this in the end of very end of March, um, almost April. Are for us, we're in uh, zone five B. So you want to look up your zone and you want to know when your last frost date is. And a few weeks before that last frost date, you're going to want to start planting your seeds because the seeds are going to start to germinate. It might take them a couple weeks to germinate, and then it'll take a few weeks before they're very big. And you don't want to transplant them too soon or they'll be small and, and not able to stand up as well, you know, to the, to the weather, to the maybe possible bugs or pests or things that try to attack them. So um, if you're starting seeds indoors, you're going to want to start thinking about it in spring. You're going to want to have your seeds purchased and the things you need. So now's the time to be thinking that way. Um, I have started things kind of late sometimes and I've also started things really early. And it kind of evens itself out a little bit. If you start some things too late, they'll have trouble like carrots and peas. But a lot of things will kind of catch up or they'll slow down if you if you plant them too early. Last year I planted 
um, some of my tomatoes and peppers in the ground pretty early, and they just grew way slower than the ones in the pots until they were kind of evened out. I don't, it's kind of interesting how that works, but I think it has to do with how much sunlight they get and, and the weather temperatures and things like that. But you want to pick a corner um, either next to your house or in the corner of the yard, in my opinion, just because it, it doesn't make it as invasive. If you have a plot or a raised bed in the corner off to the side, then you can still have the whole open yard to do other things. So um, I've utilized the, gar the flower beds in the back of my house that were already along next to the house, and I've put herbs in there and strawberries. And then I built a couple beds that were still close to the house, right next to it, just a couple inches away. I put some raised beds in um, so that it kind of cuts down on the mowing. It doesn't add something to go around. The kids don't have to worry about it because it's right next to the house, so they really shouldn't be right there anyways. Um, that just makes it easier. I have a couple of gardens that are next to the shed. Same type of thing. And so if you look for a corner of the yard where you think you want a bed, um, you're going to want to watch that for a few days, especially once it's spring. The, the lighting is going to change all year long because of the sun's rotation. But when you get closer to summertime, you need to make sure that you're getting enough sunlight because most vegetables want a lot of sunlight. If you can put it in direct light for the majority of the day, you're going to have healthier plants. I have one bed that gets sun pretty much all day long during the summer. I have another bed that's about, it's a good amount of morning sun and then in the evening it starts to get darker faster than, than the other bed. And the one that gets the most sun is definitely the better, healthier bed that gets bigger plants, but they both work. But the point is, is if you know kind of that it's going to get enough sun, that will give you an idea of if it's an okay place or not. Or if you have a couple places in mind, then it'll kind of tell you which one is, is going to be better for your plants. But once you figure out where you're putting them, and it doesn't, you don't have to decide this before you start your, your seeds, but um, you're going to want to start trays. And I have a few trays that I purchased for a couple bucks. They're just black trays and they have clear lids and that's really all you need. And if you order takeout, a lot of times those boxes, especially if you're getting wings or burgers, if they're plastic and they have black bottoms and the clear tops, that works great. Uh, Costco sells muffins their tins are perfect they're like all clear plastic the big thing is, is that you want a couple inches of depth in the bottom and then you need a couple inches of, of depth in the top because your plants have to have space to grow upwards so if you get that some some takeout boxes are too shallow and you need enough room not only for the plants to grow up but for the roots to grow down so when you find these boxes that are a couple inches both directions, so they end up being about four or five inches tall. Um, then you can use those and fill them with dirt and put your seeds in them, and they close up nice and tight so that you can keep the moisture in there, and they work perfectly. They're like mini greenhouses. It's a great way to recycle these boxes that you get from takeout or that maybe you got muffins in or whatever. It's easy because you can carry them around, and the nice thing is, is when you're planting seeds, a lot of times it's too early, like for the weather so you're bringing them inside at night to keep them warm and so once you get your boxes or as you're getting your boxes you're going to also want to get your seeds and there are tons of seeds options at the grocery store almost any grocery store you go to um, hardware store wherever you happen to be in the next few days and and you need to be there anyways just grab some seeds you know uh, white onions are really easy to grow I do spinach a lot. Uh, I do Swiss chard. I love Swiss chard. 
Green beans are easy. Those you won't start in the seed box. Those you'll start outside. So if you get those, just hold off on those. But those are the kinds of things that you'll be putting in your seed box. If you want to grow tomatoes or peppers from scratch, then you'll want to put those in your seed box and get them started. So a lot of things you can start in the seed box either to have them earlier. So like spinach is an early crop because it likes the cold weather. But we have kind of a short time period where the weather's that cold. So if I start them inside, then I can move them outside while it's still chilly. And they'll already be a few inches tall. And so they'll have that head start on the early growing season. And then I can plant a few rows of spinach or Swiss chard or whatever it is behind that so that I kind of have that um, waves of crop. And so you're going to plant those seeds in your box um, once you pick them out. And the easiest way I found is just to mark on masking tape exactly what you planted and maybe even the date. Sometimes that's helpful, sometimes it's not. It's not really that necessary, but take your masking tape, you put what your um, seeds are, and then you plant within that masking tape space your rows. So if I want to plant three rows of onions in a box, but I also want to plant next to that my kale and Swiss chard, and you know maybe I have four different things in a, in a seed box, I'll put um, onions and I'll make my tape strip long enough that it, it covers on the side of that box those three rows. And so for the lengthwise of the box, I have these masking tape strips that show exactly what behind that is the rows. And so when things start popping up, it's easy to see, like super easy to tell, okay, those are three rows of onions. Last year, I even put the number. If, if I put three rows, I'd put in a little three there just so that I could remember because I was planting a lot of tomatoes and peppers and they look the same. So it's really important, especially if your vegetables are similar. Like I have three leafy greens, or four I think, in my uh, one of my boxes right now. And so it would be pretty tricky to know the difference if I didn't have it marked like that. You would be surprised at what you forget. So if you thought, oh, I'll remember these are my onions and those are my kale, but then you can't remember if you planted kale or Swiss chard. I mean, it just it's easier if you just mark it ahead of time. And masking tape does that really easily. When you put the soil in the box, I've found that um, they have potting soil, and that's great, and I think it does kind of accelerate the growth. There's a miracle growth soil that's supposed to make it faster. I do think it works. It's heavy. It's really heavy and usually wet, and so I also have peat moss on hand because if you've listened to my uh, podcasts about building raised beds, you're going to want peat moss in your mixture to help lighten up that soil. And so if you already have peat moss, you can put a layer of peat moss at the very bottom of your tray and then cover it in potting soil and it just kind of lightens the whole thing a little bit and helps it not be as dense when the plants are growing. I feel like that works really well. And then I like to get my seeds from rareseeds.com and I am not promoted in any way to say this, so this is just personally my opinion. But uh, the seeds at the grocery store are great. Like, I, I've bought Burpee before, and they have different brands. But rareseeds.com, which is, uh, I think, Bakersfield Heirloom Seeds is the name of the, the company. They have some really fun varieties. Tons of tomatoes, tons of, of greens, and just everything you can think of, really. And just lots of fun things to try. And they've had great germination rates for me. So that's one place. If you found another place with heirloom seeds, I love that they're not genetically modified, so you can even save your seeds if you feel like it for the next year. That is something fun to do where you can even shop online and find your seeds. And they always have free shipping, which is nice too, because you're not paying like hand and foot just to get new you know, seed types. 
So once you have your seeds and your tray, you fill it with dirt, you know where you're going to plant it or you're thinking about it, go ahead and plant those seeds. It's easy to get lost in the details and it's easy to be stressed out about do you bury your seeds a quarter of an inch or an eighth of an inch? Do you, you know, if you want, if you get too overwhelmed into the details of planting, you're going to have a rough year because you're going to get so caught in the details that you won't get anything done. So I say just go for it, make a tiny little trench, put your seeds in, cover it, make sure everything's sprayed down with water, close it and leave that box alone. And in three to five days or a week or two weeks, depending on the types of seeds, you'll start to see tiny sprouts. So after a couple of days, start checking it daily. Make sure that there's moisture droplets on the top of the, the, the box, which means that it's still having, you know, there's moisture in the soil. And you will be shocked, but here's the trick check it because at first it won't matter like I stick mine on top of the refrigerator or out in the garage just to get them out of the way but as soon as those sprouts come up and they will come up overnight one day they won't be there the next day they'll be half an inch tall get them out in the light because a lot of plants will go spindly and light green and they'll try to shoot up really far but and because they're looking for light so be checking those boxes or start with them in the light. If you have a window that lets in a lot of light, you can put your seed boxes next to that. Um, we have a, a patio, a screened-in patio, and once my seeds are sprouted, I move them out to a table out there where they can get full sun most of the day. And we also have grow lights, so if I feel like it's been cloudy for a few days or really dark for some reason and I just can't, I don't think they're getting a lot of light, I might stick them under a grow light. The surprising thing is, is that even on cloudy days, they are getting quite a bit of light. So if it's, I'm talking about really dark, stormy days for a few days in a row, I may stick them under the grow light just because right now it's spring weather. The days are shorter than summer days. Um, sometimes a little, a couple hours under that grow light will help them get stronger faster. But again, those are things, those are extra things. Right now, if you're just starting out, you can focus on the simple stuff, getting a seed tray, filling it with seeds, seeing what comes up and what doesn't, seeing what works in your garden and what doesn't. You might you might plant a whole garden and have, I've had years where I didn't have any broccoli. Well, some of it came up last year, but none of it came to a head at all. That can happen. But I had plenty of other things, so I didn't really feel it as much as if, if I had only counted on that broccoli, I would have been pretty frustrated. So pick a couple things. Know that it may not all work. Know that you'll learn things as you go. By the end of the year, try to kind of guess what you did wrong. Like, I think I didn't plant my broccoli early enough last year, but I could be wrong. So I tried some broccoli. It's last year's seeds, so I really don't know if they'll even come up. We'll see. That's really the, the main part of it is just starting, and, and that can be kind of an overwhelming part. I hear so many people that are like, oh, I wish I could garden. I just I can't, or I, I, I just don't know how, and I have a black thumb. But it's so much about practice and really just kind of throwing those seeds in there. I mean, you don't have to do that much. In fact, you can, the one big thing with gardening that you realize is that you can really easily overtend something. If you're stressed out and trying to make it perfect all the time, you will overwater, you will overpoke, you will, you know, your plants won't be healthy because you're going to be messing with them all the time. So gardening is a lot of just doing it and then leaving it alone and letting it, it run its course a little bit. Once you get your seeds into the trays and they've sprouted, you're going to give them a few weeks of staying covered and, and staying watered and getting stronger. And then when you're a couple weeks out from your frost date 
assuming these are plants that don't like the cold, you're going to open up those trays and start letting them experience the, the air and uh, being out in the open. Because what will happen is when they're closed up in their little greenhouses, they will get bigger, but they won't be very strong because they're used to being completely protected from the elements. And so when you are ready to start moving outdoors, you're going to need to open those up, let them get stronger, where if the wind blows them, they don't just break. So you're going to want to open up those boxes a couple weeks before you move them out, really. You may even move them into small pots, especially if it's something that needs to get bigger. So tomatoes, for example, I'll plant those all in rows or peppers the same way. And then when they get a little bigger, I might move them into small pots. I might move four or five into one small, like a, an eight-inch pot or something like that, and let them get even bigger. Because tomatoes and peppers, you want to be three or four inches tall and pretty sturdy, like kind of a thicker stem. Other things can be a little bit smaller. So I have a lot of, I'm, I started all my greens and onions inside, and I will probably just move those directly into the ground. Wildflowers, I have a bunch of wildflowers this year. Um, I'm going to move those directly into the ground because they like that colder weather and because they don't need to be as big. And that's really the only things you have to do to start your seeds inside. Seeds can be a little bit overwhelming because it feels like more of a preparation than just throwing them in the ground, but it can be tricky to just throw things in the ground because then you have rain and bugs and wind that will mess up your seeds as they're trying to come up, depending on what it is. Again, I highly recommend green beans. They're pretty easy to grow directly out of the ground. Peas do pretty well for me. And I don't know, there's a lot of plants that you can really just kind of throw into the ground if you don't feel comfortable with seeds. But if you do want to start seeds and you want to try your hand at gardening this year, I highly encourage you just to get started it's it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of work at the same time and my kids get a lot out of it and I remember I have so many memories growing up of planting things and harvesting things and so it's just something that I really think should be passed on and I know people who do community gardens and that's really cool too I don't know what's going to happen with those community gardens with all of the social isolating and, and rules about you know necessities and staying inside and stuff so We'll see, but that's a really good way to get the community involved into a space, and, and they don't do it with their neighbors at the same time. It's it's uh, people going out and working in those spaces when they have time, and then everyone kind of benefits from whatever happens there. That can be a really cool community project. I know I, I said this in the last gardening podcast, but um, there are websites that you can go to to find out what food banks are around you that might take produce and you can call your food bank so at the end of the season when you're getting a whole bunch of zucchini or a bunch of tomatoes and you can't use it up I commonly take that kind of stuff to my church but if you didn't have a church or if you don't have a place that's easy to take and share um, you can take it to a food bank and that can be a really cool thing to do with your extra and I mean extra outside of what you can keep up with because I already can and freeze so I get even more than I can keep up with as far as that goes. And so that can be kind of cool just to share with other people um, and build that community. I think that it's easy to kind of let everybody fend for themselves, but the more we can think about other people, even if they don't need it, need it, even if it's just being a nice neighbor, um, that really can bring people together. And so if you do have extra, that can be a good way to, to, to deal with it. 
or I don't know, I guess it could even support a household to some degree. Um, you can get enough that you can carry yourself through the winter on a lot of things. Peppers are easy to freeze, uh, especially if you like them cooked because you won't have the same texture. Tomatoes are easy to can. They're super easy because they're acidic, so you can put them in a water bath. You don't have to do like a pressure can or anything. Green beans are green beans are easy to can if you have a pressure canner. Um, I found out that my pressure canner is not supposed to be used in a glass stovetop, and I didn't know that until I took it into the extension office to get the seal checked, and they kind of freaked out on me. Um, I don't know how I mentioned that I had a glass stovetop, but they were like, "Oh, you absolutely can't use this on a glass glass stovetop." If you were using it with all the heat and the weight of the water, it could crack the stovetop and then you have water everywhere with ex with exposed wires. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so after they told me all those stories of people who had actually done it, I uh, haven't used my pressure canner since. I miss it. I kind of want a uh, non-glass stovetop now, but until I get gas, I don't think that's going to happen. But maybe someday. So I still have my grandma's pressure cooker with its brand new seal that I've never used. But green beans are easy to pressure can, but you can also freeze them. They aren't as great of a texture frozen. So I don't usually save a lot of green beans. We eat them fresh, but they are so good fresh out of the garden. Um, you can freeze tomatoes too. I didn't really say that, but you can easily freeze sauces. And um, I actually have made a sauce that the that the blue book um, says you can make, but I, so I, but I roast it. Um, so if you take all the ingredients that you know are approved for canning, because the big thing with canning is to avoid botulism, you have to keep a certain level of acidic acidity in your canning. And so you want to use recipes that are pre-approved. You don't want to just can whatever you think about because you could get into some serious uh, issues there. But tomatoes by themselves are really easy to can. And then if you want to do their approved sauce recipe, I highly recommend roasting it in the oven first because it just pulls out this rich flavor that you don't get if you just can it the way they say. Um, which I, I actually, to make it easier on myself, I don't peel my tomatoes um, and I don't cook them first. I just pack my jars raw and that is absolutely approved. I put a little lemon juice and salt in them and then I can them the amount of time you're supposed to and it makes canning tomatoes so easy and then whenever I want tomatoes I can either use my diced tomatoes for recipes I have had tomatoes just because it's fast and I'll stick them in a blender and add some spices to it and there's my pizza sauce and there's lots of ways to um, make that canning process really fast I get a lot of people will comment like how in the world do you have enough time to can well it's because I'm not I take as many shortcuts as I can without being unsafe. I don't peel my t tomatoes. I don't de-seed them. I don't think it changes the taste any, and a lot of people are starting to say that. But the traditional way of, of taking care of tomatoes was to boil them in water, let them cool just enough so that you could slide off the skins, get rid of all the seeds in the insides, cut them up, put them in the jars. I mean, that just takes so much time. So I've been trying to find ways to make these processes as streamlined as possible so that I'm not spending hours and hours on one batch of canned tomatoes. Um, and I can pack them pretty quick and get them in the water and, you know, and just spend a minimal amount of time prepping those canned foods 
and uh, do that every few days and just not have it be a big, you know, deal. And I feel like that works pretty well. Swiss chard, I preserve my greens like Swiss chard and spinach by dehydrating them. I have one of those multi-rack dehydrators. I put it in a very low setting so that it doesn't overheat my greens. And then I leave it out there for a couple hours until they're really, really dry and brittle. And then I put all the leaves, I stuff them into a uh, bullet or like a, I have a ninja now with personal cup. And I put them in that personal cup, I kind of stuff them in as much as I can, and I blend it, and it turns into a powder, almost like a dried oregano or basil powder, but it doesn't have that flavor. It's almost, I guess, more of a parsley, almost. Um, and then I take that, and I put it into sealed bags or jars, and add it to soups and things all winter, and that has a really nice flavor, and as far as I understand, it has all the nutrients, so it's it's a really great way to preserve your leafy greens. Corn is super easy to freeze, but you have to have a ton of space to do corn. Um, you can freeze squash and, and uh, pumpkins if you like them mashed. Um, onions and potatoes last a long time if they're kept in a dark, cool area. So basically what I'm saying is you can grow a lot of vegetables and really keep those vegetables until your next growing season. I still have tomatoes that I've been using. I think this winter I've bought like two total, maybe even just one little box of tomatoes because everything else I've used out of my pantry. So you do cut down on some of those purchases that you would normally make. When I, my grandma used to have raspberry bushes and we would make raspberry jam every summer and I miss that. Um, you have to have a little bit of extra space for raspberries and they're kind of a finicky plant because Sometimes they don't produce real well, and sometimes the birds get into them. But we made jam with those raspberries that was so good, and then you don't have to buy store jam. So whatever you can grow in your garden, you're not spending it in food costs. Um, so that's kind of nice. And like I said, you're you're just learning a skill that is kind of being lost. Um, I was at the farmer's market picking out some peppers and uh, some other guy was taking out peppers too and he was like these are so good these are just my favorite peppers and I said oh have you saved any seeds yet and he said you can do that and it just made me laugh because people are so ignorant of how to grow things even though you can't blame them they've never thought about it they've never done it but yes you absolutely this guy is growing organic uh, non-genetically modified peppers you can absolutely save the seeds let them dry don't let them rot and then plant them the next year. Now you can't do that with grocery store foods, but you can do that with certain, you know, like farmer's market type foods. When those seeds haven't been messed with, they are going to produce the plants again. But those are skill sets that we just really don't have because we don't practice them. And it's scary if you think about leaving all of those skill sets to corporations that farm for you. I don't really think that there's anything necessarily unhealthy about grocery store produce, but I do think that we shouldn't be just trusting our food sources to everyone else and not even knowing what to do ourselves. Um, not because I think anything's going to crash, but just long term, the further we get away from being able to do it ourselves, the less power we have if something, if we needed for some reason to be able to do that. So I, I don't... I don't want to sound super conspiracy theorist here because I'm really not, but I do think that there are certain things that we just shouldn't completely give up our ability to do anything about, and gardening is one of those things. 
you know, small families, small backyard gardens, small farmers, they, they really are going to become the backbone of our nutrition because we can trust them. And I don't know how much you can really say that when it comes to major food corporations that are making decisions about how to get the most um, revenue and not necessarily how to pump us full of nutrition. Because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. You want to have good sources of healthy foods and you know they're healthy when you're the one growing them. Uh, you'll make the best soil decisions, you'll make the best pesticide decisions within your abilities, and you'll make the best pres preservative um, decisions. You won't be adding tons of extra salt or extra things to your vegetables just to make sure that they last. If that's the case, you're not going to do it. So uh, I remember when we made jam, the recipes would call for like six cups of sugar. It was insane for one pot of jam how much sugar you would put into these things. And guess what? Because it was jam for our families, we didn't do it. We cut our sugar in a half or a third or a fourth down to where it was just really the berries. I mean, you get sweet berries, you don't need to add all that sugar, and yet you can. And if you think about how much sugar and salt gets added to our food, part of it is because it's easy, and part of it is because it keeps people happy. We like the taste of it. And then part of it is because we keep eating it then. If you have lots of salt and sugar, then your body's always going to be craving those things. So I don't think I'm necessarily one to talk about perfect nutrition at all. And I know that I like my vegetables, but I also like my M&Ms and pasta. Um, but I will tell you that when you're gardening and you're making your own food from scratch, there's a documentary on Netflix called Food, I think, and the guy goes through four different episodes about different types of food, and there's there's pasta or bread, I don't know, something like that, and cheese, I think, is another one, but he goes through different kinds of food, and he goes around the world and looks at what other countries are doing, and it's really cool, it's really well done, but his point at the end of the series was that he didn't think anybody should cut out certain foods from their diet, but he strongly believed that everyone should be making their own foods from scratch. So if you want ice cream, make ice cream from scratch. If you want cookies, make your cookies from scratch. Because he said that that would cut down on how not only how much you ate, because you would have to physically make it, and that can be a whole chore in itself, but also it would help us connect with what ingredients we're putting into what. And so, like I said, if you're making a whole pot of jam, you're going to be like, six cups of sugar? Can we cut that down? Is there any way? But if you have the finished product, you're going to be like, wow, this is really good jam. And you wouldn't even think about the fact that there's six cups of sugar in there. So when you're making your own foods, you're going to be making those better decisions. Gardening is a big part of that because you get to be there from the very beginning and make every single decision about that that food item as you go. I don't know if you've heard it, but my dog is snoring super loud in the background. So if you can hear like a buzzing sound every couple minutes, it's probably him. <laughs> I hope that you're enjoying these. I, I don't know what subject I'll be doing next, but I kind of do it as it comes to me. And lately I've been on this gardening thing because I've been putting my seeds in and getting my little seedlings coming up and that makes me excited. I feel like they're kind of like my babies. Um, when I plant a whole bunch of seeds, I get really excited when they come up. And then the worst part is I will put them in the ground and have extras. And there's something just in my heart that cannot let these seedlings go if I don't have room for them in my garden. So I usually try to give them away because I, I feel like I'm just letting something die that shouldn't. So 
I don't know what that is. It's kind of funny. They aren't, obviously, they aren't sentient. They can't talk to me, but it, it just feels terrible to think that I would throw out plants that are, are uh, able to live and produce. So um, if you plant seeds and you get similar feelings, just know you're not alone. You become a plant mother all of a sudden. I have four children, and I still feel like a plant mother. So hopefully you can join me on this, and you're able to go forth and spread seeds and create a garden. Uh, this is exciting, and you can do it. We can all do it, and we can learn together and share those tips and become better gardeners as individuals and participate in our community by giving back food and giving things to our neighbors and our friends and people around us.